ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Off Track Podcast. We flipped it up, number 29, season two, episode two. We've got uh, an incredible guest, Mr. Russell Dinkins tonight uh, is going to be joining us. We'll meet him here in a second, find out his background and go with it. But always let's meet the panel that has grabbed something to drink, grab whatever they're sipping on, has joined us here at the table tonight. Uh, first and always, I guess he's always first just because the music that he does and everything he is there. Um, but we've got Mr. Darren Flowers. How are we doing, buddy? I was actually last last week, I think, actually. So not always first, but now I've had to wear layers this week. This is not layers. my element. I've, I've had to wear at least that? two layers. Oh, I got down to the 30s, 35. <laughs> We're not used to that, man. The palm trees start getting sad. And this is not good. I'm just going to keep laughing on the whole thing. Let's go to another guy who's probably really cold right now, uh, Mr. John Bell over at St. in St. Louis. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. I'm, yeah, I, 30s, is, it's cold. But uh, no, I'm doing well. Had a little late dinner with the family. Excited for this conversation. I think uh, a lot to, lot to bring to the table. So super excited. Wonderful, wonderful. It is exciting to have it. Always good to have that family conversation. Uh, Mr. Mike Gerb, how are we doing over there in Indiana? I'm good. I'm good. Very much looking forward to this conversation. And I will say, when Tom and I were in New Orleans, and it got cold for a couple of days, and it got down, I think 32 was the low for one day, and they closed all the bridges because they thought they were going to freeze and we were going to get in car accidents. Yeah, they delayed school here. Yeah, Delayed so school it because it so was much, cold. Yeah, it wasn't so much that it was cold. It was that they didn't really, <laughs> like, scientifically speaking, I don't really think the bridge was going to freeze. I mean, it wasn't raining. It wasn't snowing. It was just cold. And so we, Tom and I, were moving barriers and cones and stuff to get where we needed to go. All They're just there. using their common sense, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it was an experience. It's New Orleans. I'm not sure the common sense of that one, but yeah, yeah. yeah. A, we love those people over in New Orleans, of course. If Absolutely, it's a great city. Absolutely, it really is. Tom, I mean, we'll go right in here. Tom, how are you doing out there? How's the new kicks going? How's the house? It's going well. It's going well. Um, I'm actually working off a 56 degree day, so pretty nice for me. Just a light nice. jacket, not too bad. Man, we had. Uh, I woke up this morning and, and turned in. You know, it was about 4:30. Went out for the run and said quote unquote, freezing frost or freezing um, fog. And I was like, what is freezing fog? And I went outside. There was nothing. I'm like, what? Oh, hold on. Hold on. 4.30 this morning, you were running? Uh-huh. What the hell's wrong with you? Uh, I've come to the, with the way that the days have come a little bit. Nothing going on. You either got to get up early. You're not going to get it in. And I got to. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. It was a beautiful Never morning. Stops. So you're drinking coffee tonight? Um, yes. There you go. <laughs> There's some I wish maybe in there too for anybody who knows what that. Um, and then uh, another one right there. Hey, did you, Scott? Did you uh, did you clear your track off in Nevada? Or is there still bird shit everywhere? You know, we we got it mostly cleaned off. They're they're coming to, to you know we we scraped it off and then it kind of more or less smeared it. So now they're coming to uh, power wash it. Um, but I will say this: you guys are are talking about all the bad weather. For some reason, the world is upside down because it was 61 degrees here today which was I, that's crazy for here this time of year so um but you know we'll we'll take it and not complain a bit hey scott you got to send me a picture of that bird shit track man i want to see oh, it. you need I, to email it to us i'll, I'll send it to you i, I gotta is, see this uh, it was um <laughs> it, it literally looked like something just like a meteorite or something fell out of the sky and just went whoosh, all over and luckily it wasn't like in the middle of our high jump apron because we have a 
a huge high jump apron. It was off to the side a little bit, but it was uh, those geese. They can be uh, pretty destructive. Had a white Christmas, huh? <laughs> yeah, not the white Christmas you wanted, though. Oh, shit. Oh, man. Well, um, so now joining us, of course, he's, he's last, he's not least. Questions about that, uh, I believe. If I, if I have this right, the national champion and Ivy League champion, uh, the Princeton alum, uh, Mr. Mr. Russell Jenkins, uh, where are you right now? Are you up in, Prin in the Princeton, New Jersey area? Are you down south? Where are you? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in Princeton, actually. So uh, it's funny here. It's about, what, 30 degrees. I literally just got back from riding my bike um, outside. So, you know, you just got to do what you got to do out here. You know, I hate the cold, but, you know, that's up and up. <laughs> <laughs> I would say riding your bike in 30 degree weather. No, that, I mean, that feels like about 10 or 15 degrees. That's cold depending on what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I like to, I like to bike around, uh, instead of, uh, instead of driving my car. So I just, you know, ran some errands before, before this. So, yeah, that's uh, simple enough. Do you guys have a lot of snow and ice on the ground or what do you got? No, I mean, we haven't, uh, we had one snow, uh, right before Christmas. And that was the first snow we had in like two years. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but, um, we used to get snow here regularly, but, uh, yeah. in the past few years, like we haven't really gotten any snow. So that then, yeah, Scott's got 61 degree weather and you've got your stuff going on. Like nobody knows what's going on. The world's definitely upside down, which hopefully we can get a little bit back on into access here shortly. So, yes, uh, but Russell, let's start out with something a little bit. If you followed, uh, I followed you, I know who you are based on what you've done at Princeton and that kind of stuff. Cause you've had, a, you had a very, very good career at Princeton ran, ran for what New York athletic company. Am I correct? Or not athletic, but, uh, NYAC. Am I correct? NYAC. Yes. Yeah. So I ran for them, uh, you know, for a few years. Uh, uh, okay. yeah, technically so actually, um, but yeah, you know, but with, uh, with the pandemic and everything, uh, you know, um, there's been no meets, you know, so, you know, that kind of has changed things a lot, but. Yeah, I'm still under them. And, uh, um, you know, they've been a tremendous support, um, you know, for allowing me to uh, continue to run. Um, had a little hiatus there. I graduated, then didn't run for a couple of years, and then came back and then, like, ran faster. So I was like, okay, well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's great you come back and run faster that way. I like yeah, it. it took, like, two and a half years off. And I was like, okay, I kind of want to run again. And then I was like, oh. So old man strength, I guess. Oh, <laughs> You gotta go get it. Your old man strength, you gotta go get that kind of stuff. <laughs> no doubt about it. What um heck you should talk to the coaches up at Dartmouth. Apparently they, they've got the old man thing going on trying to keep that stuff going. Last time they were on the podcast. <laughs> um, where where are you from? How did you get to Princeton? So I'm from Philly, but I went to a boarding school in Massachusetts. Okay. And so I got recruited um, you know, from the boarding school. So that's kind of so I, I made it to Princeton by way of Massachusetts. Um, you know originally from Philly. Um, and my boarding school was, um, it was a great school. Loved it. Shout out, uh, Wilbraham and Monson Academy. They had a really, um, modest track program though, just to be, um, you know, just to kind of be uh, polite. Um, the school record in the 800 when I got there was 208 for the, for the men. So that's, that's modest. how modest, modest. The, the program was. Yeah. So I had to email meet directors myself. Um, you know, I, I use my, the track meets as like workouts and I kind of just um I like ran my way into shape and then also like got myself into meets um in high school so that I can get seen because I knew that if I stayed in Massachusetts I wouldn't get seen so I so yeah so I made a way and then you know got recruited so <laughs> what did you uh you get to Princeton um and congratulations there what did what did you major in 
majors in sociology and a double minor in urban and environmental studies. Okay. So what was the original, what is the goal? What do you want to do? That's a really good question. You know, I feel like I'm having a parent conversation right now. Um, so, it's totally, it's totally fine. Yeah. So, um, long, long story short is, you know, I've been kind of exploring, you know, what, you know, my next, you know, what my next move would be. Um, when I graduated college, I created a position at Princeton to work with first generation and low income students. So I wrote a proposal to the university, essentially saying, Hey, you guys messed up in these key ways and you should hire me. And they did. So, <laughs> um, so um, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, there's a theme there, me being proactive. So, um, <laughs> um, so you know, I really like that. I really enjoyed that work. Um, so I do want to do something with regard to working with um, populations that are under-resourced in some way, but um, I am looking... I think I want to explore it outside of the college space. I've been in the college space either as a volunteer assistant coach or as a employee of the university for a number of years. I'm still living in Princeton. So I'm definitely looking to get out of the collegiate uh, space and to transition to something a little different. Um, so what that looks like, I'm still kind of figuring that out. But um, um, there's nothing wrong with the college space. It's just that, you know, I kind of want to transition to something different. Yeah, I mean, and you've used that college space right now in, in one of the biggest ways I think we've ever seen, and a lot of us have ever seen, no questions about it. You talk about being an advocate and kind of stumbled into what it is. Um, I know that the first piece you had written on one of the mediums, um, I don't remember, can't remember where it posted, I think it's your own medium of, of, of Brown and how Brown got it wrong when they took right. track and field, um, and especially for the black athlete, which I 100% agree with. I love the article itself, yeah. and reading about it, read an article about it, it said that you know, you, you saw the, you know, the, the, am I not mistaken? You saw it go up, like there's a hundred people read it, 200 people. And all of a sudden now, I mean, the number that the people have read it is, is through the roof. Um, yeah. I think last time I checked it, it was something like 40,000 or it, it was pretty high. Um, and I, I had gotten laid off uh, during the pandemic. And so um, I just had time to write. And so I was writing things on medium uh, just because I have a lot of opinions, you know, about lots of things. And so, um, oh, yeah. you know, and, uh, uh, and in my writing, um, and if, uh, if there's anything about going to print, like we don't, we may not know how to do a lot of, a whole lot of other things, but we, you know, they, they force you to write. I mean, you know, in order to leave Princeton, you have to write a thesis. And I think almost, you know, <laughs> that was, that was the ban of my existence. Oh my God. But I, I wrote it. It's 120 pages. It is in my room. You know, <laughs> what was it on? Uh, I got to ask, what was it on? It was on this program called Kensap. In Kenya, which finds uh, talented, uh, academically talented uh, students from rural Kenya and helps okay. pair them with universities, um, elite universities in the U.S. So I did an internship in Kenya in 2012 um, in E10, and so I wrote I wrote the thesis on that. So the thesis title was "The Effect of Westernization Westernization and Socialization on the Academic Integration Success of Low Income." international students from Kenya. That was my, that was my title. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so we had to write a little bit. Um, I just, it's just funny aside. I remember being at like regionals one of the years, this is like, this is ridiculous. Everybody else was, you know, um, you know, they're done with school, but Princeton school years later. So, um, you know, people were, you know, running around and I was like writing papers while, you know, 
trying to get through my rounds. Like, this is some bullshit. You know what I mean? I was <laughs> like <laughs> every single year. So, um, yeah, anyway. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, we were, you were asking about the – you were asking about something else. Yeah, so you got – so I was was going to ask the question, and actually that's awesome to know about it because we want to know what the background is. Because, again, if you just see from what you have, you see a Twitter account, an Instagram account, you see stuff posts, you're like, okay, who is this guy? And so actually doing that kind of stuff is incredible. The fact that you've been able to do it with, with Kenya, like, you know, the, you know, the internships you've done, the experiences you've had and the people you've interacted have definitely helped this because it's helped shape the view of what you're doing. So, right. But the medium piece that you wrote itself, my biggest question, what inspired it? Right. So, yeah. So the medium, so what we were talking about before. So, um, um, yeah. So before the article, which is uh, titled um, Brown University, if you were serious about, um, racial justice, you would not be cutting the men's track team. I believe that's yep. the title, that's off the dome. Um, but uh, um, yeah, before then, you know, my my pieces would get a couple hundred views. I think the highest view count that I had was 800 or something like that for one of the pieces okay. I've written. Um, what inspired me to write this is because I heard about what happened. I was upset about it. And I also feel like my confluence of experiences being a black um, uh, former student athlete at you know, at a uh, at an Ivy League institution, having worked at the university, working with first-generation low-income students, and then having been a volunteer assistant coach at Princeton, I felt like I had a really unique voice um, and really kind of uh, was one of the, you know, the few voices that could probably speak to this issue um, in a certain way. Um, I didn't center my own personal story in the article really at all, but the reason for writing it came very much so out of my own personal experience of being from a single parent household in inner city, inner city Philly. Um, I mean, I didn't come from the hood, but you know, it was a working class background, you know, it was, it was quiet, but you know, it, we weren't rich, you know, like, so, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, you know, so that, um, so yeah, I was born out of that kind of experience. Um, what made me write it was, I heard about what happened, was really upset, got in touch with some of my brown friends, mm-hmm. um, called them and said, you know, this is crazy, this, that, and the third. Are you guys trying to get a publication to cover this story? Um, and then, yeah, we're working on some things, we're working on some things. Um, and then I just felt like, you know, I just need to write something myself. Um, so I wrote something, I spent an entire day doing all the research. Um, yeah, so I like woke up at like seven and, you know, banged it out and, you know, finished it like 11 or, or 12 or something like that. Um, so, and then I posted it. Um, and the intention was to bring some attention to the issue in, in hopes that we could show the article to a publication so that they would cover the story. Um, so yeah, but I went to sleep and then woke up and I mean, I posted it like near midnight, um, woke up and it had already about a thousand views, which is, you know, you know, it was higher than anything else I had written. Uh, so overnight, those many people had re- um, read it. And then it started getting about a thousand views per hour. Um, and so at that point, I was, okay, I need to get active around this. So then I reached out to Rojo um, from Let's Run and, um, you know, uh, you know, asked if he could uh, put it on his site. Uh, I was hoping that he would just put it in one of the, the links, but he decided to feature it actually, which I didn't actually anticipate. So that was really, really helpful. Um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell ended up retweeting it. Um, I was, uh, 
uh, what's her name, Deborah Messing. She was an actress or actor or a woman, Grace. Um, so there were a bunch of, um, you know, different people who got, got a hold of it eventually. But, um, I spent about a week just working around trying to promote the article once I saw that it was generating steam. So I was like, okay, this article could be the vehicle for the message. Let me just get the message out. A week after I posted the article, Brown announced that they were reversing their decision. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they had a really organized uh, alumni core. So I'm not saying that it was solely due to the article, but I definitely think that the article, well, no, I know that the article helped to mainstream and package the idea um, in a way. And this also, the timing was really, really perfect. That's kind of a bad way. I mean, you know, but it was right after um, the George Floyd murder. So there was just kind of a collective consciousness around these issues mm-hmm. and the optics just could not have looked worse because Brown, for those who don't know, they were cutting a bunch of teams, but track and field was one of them. Um, <laughs> they were cutting track and field and they were elevating their sailing team up to varsity. Um, so in effect, they were replacing their track team with uh, their sailing team and their track team uh, has, you know, a currently, well, for the last school year, it had more black male athletes on it than their baseball, lacrosse, uh, crew, and ice hockey teams hockey. combined. Ice hockey as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just lo- it was just optically terrible. Um, you know, it, it was going to be a really hard thing for them to be able to counter. And so, you know, they reinstated uh, their team. And, and then after that, I kind of uh, became known as, you know, this guy that can do this um, thing to help these teams get reinstated um wasn't necessarily you know any in, that wasn't uh kind of intentional it just kind of happened that way and um and since i've also helped you know william and mary and also university of minnesota get their teams either fully or partially reinstated and now i'm working with clemson and we've made tremendous strides in that effort that's gonna be that's <laughs> huge effort right there and, and you're done I, I, I think you said it before i know we got somebody here with a comment here in a second like i think you said you said it you did it perfectly where it, the timing was was incredible and just it just worked out perfectly with what had happened to george floyd and then all of a sudden like you the article you wrote just kind of turned that heat up just a little bit more and all of a sudden the boiler got really really hot you're right i mean we, man I, I think we on the podcast at least as a group had talked about this kind of stuff like this is an incredible article and the timing couldn't be more perfect. Like this is going to set off some, some fires and man, man, you really, really did. Russell, what kind of, if you could just talk a little bit where the kind of the situation with Clemson right now is and kind of, you know, obviously were you the one that filed the, the civil rights uh, claim? So kind of, I guess talk a little bit about that and, and obviously the importance of that. And, and it's obviously picked up steam now with, at least within the South Carolina Senate uh, with, with some senators uh, starting to take a look and, and maybe, you know, maybe doing a little bit of investigating themselves. Can you talk about kind of where, where the Clemson situation is right now from your uh, point of view? Yeah, no, no, no problem. So yeah. So Clemson has been, uh, you know, a beast, uh, but it's also been, um, you know, we've also made a lot of uh, strides with that and we're making tremendous progress. And so um, the reason why Clemson is so important, you know, if Clemson falls, you know, it, it it's only a matter of time, you know, and, and I don't say that lightly. Um, I think anyone 
any any program anywhere you know could be next and you know i don't say that as that's not hyperbole um i mean when it happened to the university of minnesota i remember saying um you know in podcasts and also um, outwardly hey guys we need to kind of corral around this because if it can happen at power five school it's going to happen somewhere else and then when it happened at clemson you know i remember one of the um uh, one of the alumni from uh, from Clemson saying that they did not think in a million years it would happen to them, the number one football school, you know, at the time. Um, and you know, and I was kind of thinking in my head, it's like, yeah, I think we kind of need to not be lulled by these false senses of security. Um, you know, the fact that Clemson cut their men's team. Uh, means that any school with any program, you know, name it, name a state, name, 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 name how successful their program is, you know, could be, could be on the chopping block because a lot of these ADs, you know, look at non-revenues as a burden and track and field is a very large non-revenue. It's the largest non-revenue on the men's side. And so, you know, if they could try to figure out a way to cut it, you know, it, it allows them to pour those resources into their money makers, which is football and basketball. Uh, which is a whole nother can of worms. And, you know, the fact that they are treating those athletes as employees, but those athletes are not getting the benefits of employment, um, you know, is a big issue. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, so that, you know, there, there, there's a lot of uh, kind of issues with that. So that's why, you know, with Clemson, I've been you know, really, really adamant about helping um, with this fight. So we started out, um, I produced a really, um, Saucy kind of hit video. Yeah, for those who haven't seen it. So if, if you go to, <laughs> you can go to Save Clemson um, Twitter or you can go to my Twitter uh, at Dancing Dinks and then you can find it. Um, but it's a, <laughs> uh, and you can also go to those Instagram handles um, to find it. It might be easier to find on Instagram. Um, yeah, so the video it basically communicates that the university by cutting track and field will be using the money um, mm -hmm. from their track team, which has a large black student population and transferring that wealth, um, you know, those resources to their white athletes. And that may seem like hyperbole, um, but that's literally what's happening because the number of the university literally said that they were going to be using the $2.2 million savings from cutting the men's track team to their other Olympic sports on campus. The other Olympic sports on campus are overwhelmingly white, and a lot of them are, are affluent sports, um, sports that are, you know, pretty expensive to participate in at the high school level. Um, so, like, literally, that's what's happening. They're taking money from a sport that provides opportunities that are accessed by a lot of Black kids, a lot of kids who are lower income or, you know, more modestly um, situated and transferring it to sports that are almost exclusively participated in by people from, you know, upper middle class backgrounds and are almost exclusively white. Like their baseball team, 35 athletes, all white, you know, um, and I have the five-year breakdown. Um, mm -hmm. It's been like 95% white over five-year period. So it's not just this one year. Um, and, you know, that that's what it is. That's the makeup of that sport. But don't take away the one sport, the only sport um, that's a non-revenue sport that does not produce um, uh, revenue. Because what you're effectively saying is that, you know, our black athletes are only valuable in so much as they produce revenue for us. 
I guess, uh, Russell, have you had a, any conversation with, uh, I guess, Senator Kimson from South Carolina at all about what's going on? At, I mean, if you can disclose, if, if you have, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, is there anything you can disclose that, about that? Kind of, because obviously, I, you know, I've been on this on our in previous episodes of this podcast saying, hey, you know, this is an issue that, you know, when you start t- talking about Title IX and, and some of the federal money that is, that goes into these institutions, that that at some point, uh, elected officials need to become involved. And so I'm actually really excited that, that a state senator is, is starting to, to look into something like this. I mean, is there anything you can disclose about any of those type of conversations uh, that you may have had about that? Right, right. So um, we have a really great organizing team. Um, so um, they, other people of the uh, organizing corps have been in a primary communication uh, contact with uh, Senator Kimson. Um, what I can say is that he has written a letter to the AD, the president, um, and also the head of the Senate um, to uh, call for the opening of a special committee uh, to look into to look into how this decision was made and the reasoning behind it. And so, um, and there are some other senators that are now um, vocalizing support for that for that motion. So. Um, there's uh, some steam gathering, um, at least at the, uh, the, the legislative level, um, to look at this issue, and then also uh, at the state level, rather. Um, and then we also have, which I you know, kind of uh, gloss over, we also have the, the federal filing. So I filed, um, apart from the Save Clemson Track Alumni uh, and Parent Corps, I, or I submitted a filing, a civil rights filing, to the Department of Education uh, stating that uh, Clemson by making this decision was in violation of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And so I am waiting to hear back from the Office of Civil Rights uh, to determine whether they will open up the investigation. And so it takes a little while for them to process these things. So once I hear back, um, then you know we will move forward. And so, um, you know, the, yeah, so I mean, the, the the really important thing about that is, um, you know, it's a federal it's a federal filing, and so um, it will require Clemson to uh, to disclose, you know, a key data um, information, uh, emails, things of that nature. Um, so it's a uh, it's not a it's not a small move. That's a big move. It's, I like it. It seems there's been some, I would say, significant support of these movements for whichever school, and Clemson is certainly part of that. Has there been any response or any official correspondence back from the powers that be at Clemson in response to the video you made or the, the, the you know what I mean, the, the pieces that you're writing and things like that? Or have they, and this might be a short answer, they may have said nothing, but I'm just curious, like, there seems to be a group that's really excited and we're all behind you, but what has, has there been any talk from the powers there? So I know there has been chatter. Um, they haven't spoken or reached out to me, um, directly. Um, actually none of the schools have (laughs) reached out to me directly. I don't think that they really want to, uh, uh, chat with me, but, uh, I've always said, you know, um, you know, well, I haven't said with Clemson, but with the other schools, I've said, you know, I'm, I'm willing to talk to you guys, um, but it's not a conversation about let's negotiate. These are these are the conditions. Um, you know, this program needs to be brought back because of this reason, 
Now, if you want to talk about how that will happen, then sure, you know. Um, but it's nothing personal, you know. I think um, some of the issues, uh, you know, um, yeah, people have felt, okay, well, you're calling these people racist or second or third. My issue is, I, my aim is not to determine whether or not someone is racist or not. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is what you're doing has a racial impact. And since, I have a ra- since it has a racial impact, the action is racist. And since the action is racist, I have a problem with that. And so that is why it needs to change. So whether or not someone personally is whatever, that's not of my concern. My concern is, you know, making sure that we maintain these opportunities, um, you know, specifically uh, that are accessed by, uh, you know, uh, you know, a population that is under-resourced in this country. You know, we're talking about black men, like, let's be real, you know, and so we're taking away opportunities for higher education. You know, um, these are supposed to be pathways to, uh, to provide a better life um, for yourself through, you know, a college education. That shouldn't be taken lightly, you know, and the amount of opportunities that are afforded, you know, not only at this school, but at all the schools across the country. And that compounds year after year after year. Um, you know, it, it changes lives. And so they need to really understand that responsibility. They're not in the business of just making money and exploiting these athletes. They're in the business of trying to provide educational opportunity via the vehicle of intercollegiate athletics. And they need to be reminded of that. I agree. And, you know, we've, I've said this before also where I'm not sure how we can reconcile at this point where on one hand it's convenient to cut programs because they aren't profitable. But on the other hand, we're going to keep people amateurs and not treat them as professionals. So you're really playing both sides of the coin when you do that, right? Like where if, if we can't make money, we don't want to do it, but yet we're not going to share any of those profits with these people that, but wait, we're not profit for profit when it comes to making money, but we are for profit when it comes to saving money, you know? So I've just, I'm still waiting to hear, and this isn't a question for you, you know, because I think you would probably be on the same page. I'm still waiting to hear how we reconcile those two things. You know what I mean? Like you kind of have to have it one way or the other. And, um, you know, you get to play both sides of the coin here is kind of what they seem to be doing. Yeah, no, I think there needs to be a real, a real, a really hard look at what, uh, what's happening right now in, you know, and, and college athletics. I mean, there are some major movements that are happening. Um, you know, there was a, a amateurism case that uh, is going to be looked at by this term of the Supreme Court. So we'll see, um, you know, what's going to come from that. So some major changes might be afoot anyway, um, you know, in terms of the college landscape. Um, but we just need to be honest about what's happening. There are two professional leagues that are being run by the NCAA. You know, there is a... Uh, NCAA football and NCAA basketball, the men's um, side. Um, those are two professional leagues being run. Um, and so you just need to be honest about that. Um, now, when we were talking about, you know, fiduciary responsibility and things of that nature, you know, it's really specious to me that track and field is always deemed to need to pay for itself. And, you know, that's why, um, you know, they say, okay, we need to cut track and field. All of these schools, when they have listed track and field, they, they have listed the expenses, but they, none of them talked about the net. Because if you take the expenses and then talk about the revenues that are generated from the meets that are run, the net at a lot of these schools, uh, it tends to be a little bit less than some other sports. Um, 
One sport that, were, that had a higher net at both universities um, that I've recently worked with, University of Minnesota and Clemson, was baseball. Interesting. Baseball wasn't touched at either of those schools. Um, and baseball also has a pretty big roster, too. Baseball has about 35 athletes, up, yeah. up to 40 athletes. Um, this is not targeting baseball. I don't think baseball needs to get cut, but I'm just saying if these schools are really concerned about the financial impact, they would look at the net and then talk about the net in terms of their decision-making, but they only talk about the expenses. Um, and then also a problem with track and field also, and I think this is something that some of the track and field coaches and um, the uh, track and field coaches association um, needs to lobby for is the way that track and field gets shorter than the stick. You get count, the, the sport in college gets counted um, as three different sports for sports counting reasons, but then all these schools collapse all of the budgets uh, together as one line item at the end of the year. So they get to say, okay, we're cutting one sport because it's expensive, but they're still counting that sport as three different sports for NCAA counting reasons, especially on the women's side to counter football. So they're having it both ways. And it's like, if you break it up by season, they wouldn't be able to cut track because it's so cheap. Also, um, a lot of these schools I've noticed, so they'll count all these athletes three times for sports counting reasons. But when they're talking about the cost per participant, they only use the raw number. So it's like, you guys are, they're fudging the numbers all the way around. Um, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so it, it, there needs to be, and I, I think track and field coaches also, I mean, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, um, but um, track and field coaches, I mean, they also do the job of three different coaches uh, and yet they get paid sometimes less than coaches that um, only coach uh, one sport and it has a much smaller roster. So, oh, no, no, no. Preach, man. Most preach. Just keep preaching. <laughs> Just keep preaching. <laughs> Turn yeah, around, so, though. So I think that, uh, you know, that last point, you know, something that, uh, you know, the, the coaches will have to try to uh, fight for. But in terms of the, uh, the sports counting uh, issue, I really think it honestly does a disservice um, to – Everyone. It does a disservice to the to the track and field male athletes, and also does a disservice to female athletes because they're getting around the Title IX requirements. They're not actually providing equivalent opportunities um, uh, for women. They're mm -hmm. counting women three times. That's not actually providing more opportunities for female athletes. And a lot of these um, schools, when they're talking about Title IX issues. They could probably, not probably, they definitely could if they had the will, if they are going to be out of compliance. And this is an issue that a lot of state schools are going to be facing because female enrollment, you know, is going up. You know, more mm -hmm. women are going to college, which is great. Uh, but in order to stay within the ratios, you have to make some decisions. Um, they could amend the roster sizes of all their men's sports, but they're not going to take a 5% reduction in their football team roster. They can't do that. Oh, God forbid. Why would we? So now they have to cut a full sport track and field. Or I think it's been mentioned before, like, you know, some, some schools are just reducing roster spots, not necessarily cutting whole programs, but, and then that kind of goes under the radar, you know, a lot, probably right. more than we know. So the roster spot reduction is something that uh, is an issue too. I mean, the end of the day, more opportunity needs to be given, uh, needs to be provided to, um, you know, to female athletes, um, to, you know, that, that's kind of what 
the calculus needs to be. And it should not come at the expense of male athletes. Like it's not about penalizing male athletes in order to provide more opportunity for female athletes. And yet that's what ends up happening. The way that Title IX is being exploited, it is pitting female athletes against non-revenue minority athletes. And that's the that's a problem. You know, that I mean that's that's effectively what's happening. So you're saying, okay, this one historically under-resourced group, we're gonna put you against this other historically under-resourced group. Like that's not that's not what Title IX was supposed to do. It was supposed to create more opportunities, um, you know, for you know, for women in athletics and the not only in athletics, but also just in college generally. Sure. Right. Um, yeah, so I mean there, there's a myriad of issues uh with that i know again preaching to the choir here but uh you know um yep. it's a large issue and it's a big issue i'm kind of focused on you know the narrow scope of if i can save these track programs and you know really with clemson i do strongly believe um winning clemson is going to be what's going to help save uh, men's track and field um you know at least you know for a few years I do think, you know, after Clemson has won, and I'm just going to speak that into existence, um, that, uh, track, <laughs> that track coaches um, uh, will have to, you know, have some conversations about what they can do to help better um, kind of insulate themselves from these things. Um, you know, maybe that's, you know, figuring out different ways of running meets to, um, you know, provide more cultural value at the schools. Um, so, you know, um, uh, my college coaches were big proponents of try and quad meets. I think, you know, that's mm-hmm. something that probably we need to move back to something where you can say we won. I remember being in college and going to, I love the armory, but going to the armory for wow. a big invitational and running the 500 or, you know, the 800 or whatever. And people say, Oh, did you win? I was like, well, I, I ran a time that might qualify me for something. They're like, okay. <laughs> but did you win? What does that mean? Yeah. just like, <laughs> You know, it's like, yeah, I got sixth place, but I ran, you know, you know, uh, um, 358 at BU. Like, okay, but, you, you know, like, that's great for us nerds, but, like, that doesn't, that doesn't read well. It reads better if you run 404 and your team wins the meet, you know? Um, yes. So. But. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> if you thing. haven't guessed, we've had this conversation and we're all on board. Yeah, we're, we're all, you're like the, 12th person to come in here and say those exact words which is wonderful <laughs> right like there's there's absolutely support for winners and losers man that's what we got to have yeah russell i'm kind of curious you you've been involved with you know so many different of these uh fights to save the 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 men's teams what do you feel like has been like the tipping point what was the tipping point where minnesota said we're gonna bring bring back, um, you know, our, our cross country and outdoor team, or, you know, we're going to bring back William and Mary's team, you know, what, what, what's kind of been that, you know, maybe that catalyst or breaking point, I guess. Yeah. So for each institution, the catalyst has been kind of an aggressive action. And, you know, it's funny with each institution, um, you know, working with their alumni, there was always a bit of reticence and a bit of reluctance to go there. Um, and yeah, in each institution I've, I've kind of had to convince them, Hey guys, like we have to go there because if we don't go there, it's not coming back. You know, yeah, yeah you know, there was, I think there was a, a kind of desire or just like a 
automatic response of, okay, well, let's just try to work with them. Let's have some meetings. Let's talk. You know, let's figure this out. It's like, no, guys, they cut your program. They punched you in the face. You know, they said, F you. They're not your friends right now. We can be friends later, but we got to earn your respect back. And so in order to do that, you have to, you have to be aggressive. Um, and so with Brown, it was the article. With William and Mary, um, I encouraged them to get aggressive, and then they got aggressive um, on social media. They found that one of their trustees had been liking some really um, racist tweets, um, like just not even like questionable. It was like, no, it was blatantly racist. And so that uh, caused a big stir. Um, that mixed things up, and then they were able to start having you know, some conversations after that. Um, and then their women's program uh, announced their boycott about a month or a half, month and a half after that. And um, it was a big shakeup. William and Mary, they were getting it from a lot of different angles because they cut a bunch of programs. They actually ended up, uh, the their AD ended up resigning. And then, <laughs> uh, but then there, was, there was a new AD that was brought in and then all the programs were reinstated um, eventually. So theirs was a little bit more prolonged, but there were some aggressive actions um, with the social media kind of expose. Um, also with the, um, with the women, um, saying that they were going to the boycott until, uh, the men's team was brought back, um, with university of Minnesota, I wrote an op-ed in the star tribune, which is the local newspaper in Minneapolis, uh, that effectively, um, it was a written version of the video that I produced for Clemson effectively. Um, um, but that article was published. October 7th, um, they had a, uh, a meeting uh, to determine the fate of the sports on October 9th. Um, and, you know, that, that uh, article definitely was felt. Um, I watched the live meeting where they made the, made the decision. Um, uh, and the article was obliquely referenced in the, in the, um, in the meeting where the, uh, with the board of, um, I think they're called board of regents. Yeah, the board of regents where they, where they each school calls them something different. They're all trustees, but where the board of regents um, board uh, voted. Regions. The thing that was really crazy about Minnesota, at 9 a.m., the morning of the vote, the AD emailed them a new proposal. Yeah, the, proposal the original proposal was either cut all the sports or bring them all back. He presented a new proposal that brought back the outdoor team you know, uh, the cross country team was never cut. So it's going to be a cross country only program, which was basically, you know, um, a death sentence, but it was going to be cross country and outdoor, the indoor would be cut. And they were able to rustle away one of the votes um, um, doing that. But I watched the meeting, some of the board of regions noted, hey, we got this proposal five hours ago. They voted at 2 p.m. that day. And they said, we don't have enough time to look through this. How we were told that Title IX was a big issue, but how can you add the men back in for outdoor? It is not a Title IX issue. There was no uh, explanation for that. Um, and so they, were, they did some you know, kind of uh, <laughs> slimy things uh, behind the scenes um, in order to uh, bring back only the outdoor team. But the fact that the university knew they had to do something um, you know, was reflective of you know, the impact of you know, the article and also some of the other uh, you know, 
grief that I was able to, um, well, good grief, you know, some of the, some of the attention I was able to bring to the issue. So with Clemson, um, the hit video, <laughs> definitely, um, you know, that's, uh, it was a, it was a video that was targeted on a very particular message um, that definitely moved the needle a lot that we've been doing a lot of other things since then. Um, and the filing, the civil rights filing is just one of many different actions that we, we have, but um, you know, we definitely know just anecdotally, but also just seeing how the university has been moving, that they're hearing these concerns and that um, it's starting to um, provide some pressure. So it's just about, you know, applying pressure, applying, applying pressure until, you know, a university comes to the table and says, okay, we, we, we have to do this. Um, so, so Russell, I've got a question. Uh, you're obviously really passionate about this issue and you've, you know, made a lot of change. You've made an impact. You know, I, I kind of want to hear more about your personal story, if you're willing to share, um, you know, you alluded to it earlier, but I just kind of want to know, you know, what, what has lit this fire inside you and what, what's maybe happened in your own personal life that has fueled this. All right. Perfect. So thank you. So <clears throat> like I said, I'm uh, from inner city, Philadelphia, um, started running when I was six years old. Um, so I like to say running uh, about me, um, I was walking with my grandmom and there was a team doing a fundraiser selling water ice. If anyone has ever been to Philadelphia, um, water ice is like a, uh, is a, is a nice, uh, kind of summer treat. Um, water like not water water like wood water. and then er yeah water yeah it is not it is not italian night i mean sorry, it's not a snow cone like nah like it like it's not a snow cone it's much better so anyway um we we care a lot about our water ices and our cheese sticks in philly so don't play with us with that anyway <laughs> um, so they were selling that and they handed my grandma a flyer um yeah my, my grandma handed it to my mom and my mom was like oh my god you know because she loved track when she was a kid uh, but didn't know that there was youth opportunities and called and called and called and eventually got me into the program. And the big thing about that program, our coach, um, the late, the late, great Bob Jackson, who, um, recently passed away. Um, he always said, use this program as a way to provide yourself opportunity for a college experience. And so that was, he communicated that from day one, and so I was with him from six to 18. And that was kind of the message that was always communicated. And so he wasn't really a guy that was saying, oh yeah, you need to go to college and then become a national champion and then run professionally. He said, once you get to college, I don't care what you do, just use this to get to college. And he had been coaching, he ended up coaching um, the Marge State track program in Philadelphia for 40 years, um, using a lot of money out of his own pocket uh, and providing opportunity for countless, for thousands uh, mostly young black men, um, boys who turned into men throughout the city of Philadelphia, saving, you know, thousands of lives, you know, and that's not, that's not an exaggeration. And so it was born out of that experience of, you know, seeing someone who gave of themselves, you know, I mean, this man would, um, you know, I'm getting a little emotional now, but uh, he would, uh, like literally, um, you know, take the last dollars out of his pocket so that a kid could eat because, you know, they were sent to a track program to a track meet without any money because their parents didn't have any money or, you know, um, buy them shoes so they could run, you know, um, you know, he, he will sometimes walk around, um, you know, and people didn't know necessarily, uh, you know, that he, uh, went without so that kids could have and, and, and gave of himself, you know, really until, you know, his illness, uh, you know, took him out. Um, so 
and, and so it was just out of that passion and out of that kind of um, out, out of that profound example, uh, you know, uh, of service to to others that I that, that I've been passionate about this opportunity. So I mean, track and field afforded me the opportunity to go to one of the best schools in the Philadelphia region um, for middle school, and then that allowed me to go to um, high school. And then I also used my running um, to get into Princeton. Um, I mean, you know, Princeton, you have to have, you know, certain grades and, you know, certain SAT and what have you, but, you know, I'm not going to make any illusions. Track helped, you know, so I definitely used uh, track to, uh, to uh, get that. And I, I, I knew that, okay, if I run pretty well in high school, you know, and um, I think I ran what I ran, what, 47, six and 151. So, you know, pretty solid. Um, you know, um, and and if I had good enough grades and good enough SATs, I can expand my opportunities. So all I wanted to do was make sure that I had a broad base of opportunity. Um, and I also didn't want to pay for college. Um, so <laughs> uh, those are two things. I'm like, I want to go for free and I want to have as many options as possible. So I was like, let me run fast and let me do pretty good in school. So that, you know, so that's, uh, you know, that was kind of the package there. Um, and so Track and field allowed for me to have all these awesome opportunities. And, you know, while, you know, I haven't necessarily gone and worked in, you know, major companies or what have you, because I've been um, pursuing some things, uh, you know, that I'm so passionate about my post-collegiate running, and then also working at the university. Um, I have this opportunity. I have the world, you know, at my, at my disposal. I now have, you know, one of the best degrees, you know, uh, in America that I can use for, you know, whatever. I have so many opportunities. Um, that are that have been afforded to me, and I want other people. I want that other nameless kid that I, you know that I will never know to have that same opportunity, and you know, and it's also about the fact that you can be in track and field. The beauty of it, you can be a kid from Tuscaloosa, you know, or you can be a kid from Baltimore, or you can be a kid from um, you know the middle of nowhere, you know, uh, Wyoming. And if yep. you run fast or jump far or throw something far or, 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 you know, have a great hurdle time, you'll get recruited, you know, um, you know, everything goes to miles oh essentially. So, you know, there are kids all over the country that have similar stories. Um, and there are adults who are in remarkable places now based off of the opportunities that were afforded through this sport. And you don't see that with the same sort of, intensity in these other these other other sports programs so um it is why that is why i i've done this um and you know um a lot of people have asking okay well you know some people were wondering like wow how are you doing all this he's like well you know doing this out of passion um you know i got laid off i did not um you know i actually uh, intentionally when working with these programs decided to not uh, apply for other jobs for a while because i wanted to dedicate my time to this issue um, uh, right now, um, Tracksmith actually has provided, uh, nice. provided some um, support, uh, with, uh, with this for the next few months. So, um, very, so shout out to Tracksmith for that. And so I'm really thankful and appreciative of their support in that way. Um, but, uh, yeah, before then I was just, I was doing this, um, just because I cared about it that much. I was like, you know, I have some savings. I, I can, I can, uh, I can afford to kind of take a beat. You know, I got rid of my car because I wasn't going anywhere with the pandemic. So, especially in Jersey. Um, so I was all right. Well, you know, I'm just gonna sit in my sit at home, type these articles and make these phone calls and organize these people. And um, you know, 
so far, you know, tremendously proud and humbled that I've been able to work with so many different schools that they've allowed me in and that, you know, um, I've now been a part of helping to save opportunities, you know, um, hundreds of opportunities at these three schools, um, you know, and hopefully that will turn to four. What was your coach's name again? The, the, the youth coach there? Bob Jackson. Bob Jackson. He would be very, very proud. And, and it's, it's, I'm so glad Darren asked you that question. I don't know that you could sit in front of a room and tell that story and have anybody tell you it was a good idea to not have a men's or women, you know what I mean, a track and field program, because just hitting the nail on the head with these opportunities, low barrier of entry, unlike a volleyball or soccer or baseball or hockey, right? Like anybody can do it. It doesn't cost any money. And to have, you know, those types of opportunities out there for those types of kids is so immensely important. And I would, yeah, to make that, to make that plea or not even a plea, just tell that story in front of a, a group of people making decisions. I don't know how you look at that and say, yeah, let's go ahead and stop providing those opportunities. I mean, that, that's, that's fantastic. But yeah. And I think that's why your message is so powerful yeah. to be honest. And, and that's why I really wanted to know kind of what, what fueled that fire behind you? Cause you're really passionate about it. And I think when people hear this podcast and they hear that story and they know what you've done, I, I think it, it holds more weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've amplified that message from a small community when you were a child to now nationally, partly through the power of social media. And we would encourage you to continue to do that. I do have a question, you know, how can people support you financially? How can they support your mission? How can we help you continue this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, <laughs> you know, honestly, um, I think uh, part of, uh, you know, the blessing and, you know, kind of the opportunity there um, is, uh, you know, since I was born out of passion, I was really just doing it, you know, not necessarily thinking about, okay, how can I financialize this or how can I, you know, uh, uh, make this into something that is more formal. Uh, but I am um, moving in that direction now. So um, people just follow me on uh, my Instagram, and my Twitter, um, you know, I will be able to uh, provide them with, you know, additional uh, kind of um, uh, information. And if they follow me, you know, I will be uh, providing some updates regarding, uh, you know, kind of uh, formalizing my efforts um, in a way where they can support it in a more, you know, formal way. But right now, you know, if they just follow me dancing, you spell it out, dancing with the G, Dinks, D-I-N-K-S, um, uh, at uh, Instagram and, and at Twitter. Um, you know, that's a way that uh, people can follow me right now. Um, but, you know, my, my hope is that by uh, doing this work, particularly at Clemson, um, that the message is clear and that uh, we, uh, you know, we can move into another phase where we don't have to fight to save programs, but rather we can work to be proactive. If that is, that's really where the next stage is. Because if we're working to save each school individually, we're going to be behind the eight ball. We have to get in front of it. Um, and we need to, you know, really make it clear, you know, that this that these are opportunities that don't need to be taken for granted. And, you know, that might come into the form of, you know, maybe there needs to be some sort of policy shift at the NCAA level that requires schools to not only account for their gender balances, but also account for opportunities that are provided for uh, minority students as well um, through this athletic program. So that's not something that is being discussed um, and that needs to be kind of centered. Uh, now, another reason why this uh, action with, uh, with the civil rights filing is big. Um, 
I'll just leave it there right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, so I, I'm kind of curious, you, you kind of alluded a little bit there, but I'm curious, have you had any communication or, um, I, don't, I don't know if supports the, cor- the correct word here, but from the USTF CCCA organization, have they kind of talked to you about anything or I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, Sam. Yeah, so Sam seems. So uh, yeah, I, I've been uh, I, I've been in uh, some uh, close communication with him. Um, he's a he's a character. So yeah, we we we've had a we have we've had some some good talks, <laughs> and um, he's definitely uh, provided some you know some great insights. And um, you know, we've talked about ways that his organization uh, more broadly uh, you know can uh, support. Um, and you know, we're still trying to figure out the timing. You know, that would be best. Um, to leverage that voice, but um, no, he's been a tremendous uh, um, ally in this fight, and has provided um, some great, uh, you know, conversation, you know, on the record, also off the record, um, to uh, to help with uh, some of our efforts. So now he's uh, he 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 knows it, he understands it, um, he lives and breathes this stuff, and um, is has been a tremendous support. Um, I know that the uh, USATF and the uh, USOC, I believe they have a working group or no, the USOC has a working group and I believe USATF has a working group as well. I haven't been in communication with either of those entities, um, regarding the work that they're doing. So I can't really speak on that. So. Russell, I, you know, often, oftentimes, uh, athletics reflects culture and society. Do you see, uh, your, your project and your, you know, everything that you're doing right now moving, outside the realm of athletics or even outside of the realm of track and field? You know, it probably is going to have to at some point, um, just because, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, sport is a reflection of our, of the world, of our society. And so there are, there's a microcosm, you know, of these issues um, that we see in our sport and, you know, um, what we see in the sport is just a reflection of, you know, what's happening more broadly. And so what's happening in our sport, what's happening in college sport, you know, what's happening in professional sport are all reflections of what's happening, you know, in the world. So um, I do think that, you know, the time is ripe for, you know, some critical conversations about what does it actually mean to be committed to diversity? You know, like all these schools have these statements those statements don't mean anything to me if it's not backed up by action. I don't want to hear about your statement. I don't want to hear about, you know, you have a, you know, 40 year old black woman who's a diversity coordinator who does, who has no power at the university to do anything like um, besides, you know, give a once, um, you know, per year uh, presentation to all the departments. Like that's not actually changing anything. I'm not saying that that position exists, but if you're going to have that position, make sure that it actually means something, that it actually can affect change. Also, make sure that you're actually committed to ensuring um, in a tangible way um, to support your support your students. And also, you know, more specifically, since we're talking about athletics, your student athletes, um, you know, I think that there should be, you know, a, a huge commitment. Like, for instance, you know, if these schools are really, um, you know, if these universities and everything are really uh, concerned about. Uh, the betterment of, you know, their student athlete experiences, Um, you know, uh, it would be great if there was some sort of way of, you know, the NCAA made it um, 
important for them to ensure that not only the graduation rates are really high, but also that the employment successes of you know their student athletes are really high, and how they could build programs around that. Um, yeah, you can say, okay, you're going to do all this stuff for the universe, uh, you know, for your university, and the NCAA can use it. Then after you leave, what happens? Like, I don't know if there's data. I haven't looked into it about what happens um, to those football and basketball players who don't make it into the league um, or into one of the various different leagues and um, what their employment prospects are. You know, that needs to be, you know, I'm curious about that. You know, and, that and that data should be widely available. It should be easily communicated. And if, it, if the numbers are good, then build a plan around it to address it. There's money there. There's just not the will to do things around it. So people can say, um, you know, all these things at the university level, you know, there are other ways that you can actually commit yourselves. Like, for instance, when I created position at Princeton, um, you know, I felt as though the university needed to do a better job of addressing, you know, some of the communities of need. And so I created this program called Tiger Threats, where we collected a whole bunch of uh, used, gently used business clothing. I found a dry clean partner. We got it dry cleaned. And then we offered thousands of dry clean um, new, uh, well, freshly dry clean used clothing that were business clothes for, you know, hundreds of students to be able to come through and get business clothing. And the reason why is because I remember being a freshman, not going to any of the career fairs because I literally did not have anything to wear. So I didn't go to any of the career fairs and I ended up not getting an internship my freshman year, ended up working at the YMCA, which is fine. But if you go to an Ivy League school, you should be able to have a larger opportunity. Like I should, the only I should have worked with that YMCA because I wanted to. I ended up working at the YMCA because I felt as though that was my only option. I ended up having a great time. There's some great people there. But I was not served by Princeton in that way. Um, so I wanted to make sure that they serve their students better, you know, for the next cohorts. Um, and so literally for that program, I used resources that were already at the university. They already had a business clothing drive. They already had a relationship with a dry cleaner. They already had the clothing racks. They already had the space. Mm -hmm. Do something. You know what I mean? Like, so like, I don't know. I, I feel like there's not really ingenuity and a will to actually make things better. People just sit around and twirl their thumbs and say, oh, well, there's nothing we can do. No, you can do something. So <laughs> I got a little fired oh, up you, about that. <laughs> you got it all set up. You're right. You have everything set up. Take the take the money and run, or take and take the opportunity and absolutely burst through the door and keep running. Make make opportunities happen with that stuff. Mm. <clears throat> so one thing we've looked through it, we've heard about the programs getting cut, reinstated, doing that kind of stuff. We've had multiple people on here. Sam's been on here. Uh, Gary Wilson's been on here talking about how to save your program. Um, we've had uh, Reggie Reggie Brooks on here talking about, hey, this is how you save a program, as well. And we've heard everything from you should make sure you have an elevator speech ready to go. You should make sure that you endow scholarships, you know, and yet again, if you look at the financial numbers, being an Iowa grad, Scott and I both Iowa grads, we saw Minnesota always hosting track meets. In, indoors, we host, I got least, Scott, how many times we went to an indoor track meet up there over our five years was at least half a dozen, at least a dozen times, at least. And then if you look at Clemson's numbers, if I'm not mistaken, they were in the black every single year the last 10, 12 years, except one. Like they're making money every single year based off their home meets. So what I'm getting at is this, like, okay, they're making money. Obviously making money doesn't matter on the program. Is there something that you see that we could do as track and field coaches, you know, cross country track and field coaches to prevent the programs? Is it being more vocal and more loud about the opportunities that we, you know, provide? I mean, 
or what, what could you see a, a track and field coach doing or a program doing for that matter? I think there's a few things. Um, I think there's being proactive and also being also making sure that you're paying attention um, to what's happening. So at a lot of these schools, we saw some funny business happening in the EDAD and then also the financial uh, um, reports um, uh, from all from all the schools. Like, you know, one year, uh, you know, there'll be a, a number of years where the numbers will look one way and then all of a sudden something would change. And then there'll be two years where there where that change had occurred. Um, and then the program gets cut. So I would say, um, and it's tedious and it's annoying, but, you know, I think track coaches, um, especially head coaches, should make sure that they're paying attention to the, to the way that the university is reporting some of the data um, to the Department of Education, also to the NCAA. EADA, I think, goes to the, the um, Department of Education and the financial reports, I believe, go to the NCAA. Um, so pay attention to that. Um, I not a track coach. So, you know, these are just some of my ideas. So, you know, people can take, take, take with it what yeah. they will. Um, I do think that, you know, and every school is not going to be able to do this, obviously, because every school doesn't have the uh, facilities, but schools that do have the facilities, um, you know, I think trying to, and, and you know, this is a, in a post COVID world, but yes. trying to get the universities to loosen their restrictions on allowing some of these high school meets. I mean, there's just so many high school kids out there. You can create so many um, opportunities for kids to come and run at your school. And those are just cash cows. Um, I mean, every, the reason why I say that is um, the invitational models in college just aren't as lucrative. And also there's not as numerous, there just aren't as many colleges. And every, there aren't those many schools that have the facilities to support a big invitation like that. And also, I think we need to get away from the invitational model in college, to be honest. That's my next question, but yeah. Right. <laughs> so I feel like if these schools, um, you know, convince these commercial universities to um, utilize their uh, their facilities for high school meets, um, especially if they have facilities that are quality. I mean, for instance, like Princeton has a flat track. You know, we don't, we run a bunch of, uh, we have some, college meets that run at, at Princeton, but you know, those are kind of considered, you know, your throwaway meets or whatever. Um, but for a high schooler, you know, a flat track is great, you know, like it's a track. So, you know, um, you know, they do have some meets here for high schoolers, but you know, they could have a lot more. There's a lot of kids around this area. Um, and particularly in schools that are in some more sparsely populated states, um, you know, you may be the only, you know, uh, indoor and outdoor facility that's of quality, you know, around for, you know, well, now I know that there are some NCAA considerations that you have to uh, consider yeah. with, you know, being at the school, vice, this, that, and the third, but there are meets that are run at these, at these universities that are high school meets. So it's possible. Um, so I think uh, figuring out ways that you can kind of uh, uh, provide a financial model to yourself, um, you know, by utilizing your facilities is one thing. Um, and I know, I know at Princeton, like when the meets are held, none of the coaches are there. Like, you know, it's just, you know, they all leave because, you know, to make sure that everything's in compliance. So I know it's possible to do that. Um, I remember as a kid, I used to run AAU meets at Duke, you know, like, you know, that's actually how I, that's actually how I figured out that I could probably go to a good school. I'm like, oh, I can't ever go to a good school. And then I met with, um, uh, I think Nor Coach Norm Ogilvy. I feel, yep. Yeah, Coach Norm, yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, he wanted me bad. Sorry. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, okay. he gave me, um, I remember I met with him and he gave us a brochure and it told, 
it said, you know, what their SAT and GPA kind of, um, what they were looking for, for, for a student. I'm like, Oh, I could do that. Okay. All right. Let, let's let, you know, I thought it was, I need to get a 4.0 and I need to have, you know, a perfect score. And I was like, Oh no, I don't. I just need to have like, you know, good score. So I could do that. So yes. I just hit that threshold. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't go above. Good job. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I think, uh, I think that's an opportunity, um, right there. Um, I know a lot of colleges do coaches um, do some of the um, some of the the camps over the summer. You know, those are opportunities. Um, particularly if they are done well, you can kind of make you know some good opportunities. Um, you know, from them, uh, and you can have multiple sessions of those. Now, I know that's a burden on the coaching staff, but you know, maybe there's a way that you can kind of leverage the volunteer assistants. Well, if they're brought back, I know volunteer assistants aren't a thing right now due to COVID. Is that correct? Some places, yeah. Uh, every place is different. I know Princeton doesn't have any volunteer assistance right now, but mm-hmm. um, you know there, there are different ways that you can kind of figure out and be creative around around that. Um, but I also think that uh, talking about the invitation, uh, talking about uh, the invitational versus the quad meet model, I think it's important um, for schools to start trying to do quad meets or meets of that nature um, because you can. I think having butts in the seats um, is really important in showing value. And so even if you know the numbers, the financial numbers aren't that much different, I think having butts in the seats uh, and, and having an AD be able to walk by an outdoor track meet and see, you know, there are people and and people are kind of cheering on, you know, the home team, if you will. I think that communicates a value that is that that is a little um, that isn't tangible, but it still has an impact. I think now when you're when you walk by a meet, if your school does host an invitational and it's a nine hour thing, and you know people are coming and going, and there's no fan engagement, like people are literally in the stands, like looking at their phones or like um, you know doing homework. That doesn't communicate a value. So, no, that's something we've talked absolutely talked at length about with you know <clears throat> give us a better product you know let's produce a better product that somebody can walk by on and an ad can walk by with and say hey that that was an awesome thing going on or hey what are those guys cheering for what what is that crew doing because we don't we don't you're right i don't want to go to a nine-hour track meet none of us here want to go to a mike Herb definitely doesn't want to go to a nine-hour track meet 10-hour track meet like none of us want to do it. it's just a long day you got to have something that's quick in out and and to the point, uh, there's no questions about that. If we don't, forget it. Like, we're going to kill it. We're, we're going to hurt our sport even more than it's already hurting, uh, no matter what No matter what the, what we do. Um, is there anything, because we, we, it seems to be a lot, a really, uh, a young generation, the student athletes are doing a lot with it. William & Mary's, uh, you know, I think William & Mary's women's team did an incredible job. You mentioned that earlier. I 100% agree with you with, like, being advocates for their sports. Is there something that student athletes can do? You know, we always talk about what can the coaches do and realize, okay, what can the student athletes do to be, to help their own sport out? I mean, we put a lot of ownership on us because I think maybe it's the amateur model of let's just do it for the student athletes. That's why we don't Kate and get, we can go into that a little bit more, but what can student athletes do to help their programs out? Mm. That's really interesting. So I'm trying to put myself back like 10 years ago and, um, I wouldn't have thought about, you know, as an 18, 19, you know, year old, wouldn't have thought about, okay, how can I 
do things to preserve, you know, this mm -hmm. sport, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about, okay, how can I get through the next rep, you know, Lord help me, you know, so that's, that's kind of what you, don't you know, find the trash can. where are we going? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So, um, um, so that's a really good question. I think, I mean, students have a lot more power than they realize. Um, and I think that's an important thing. Um, so I think students, uh, you know, should take it upon themselves to uh, call their trustees or to, uh, you know, do a, a meeting with, get a meeting with the president. Um, I don't know about other schools, but I know at Princeton, you know, the president had office hours once every few weeks, you know. Um, so uh, there are opportunities. You can get, you know, a meeting with, with the president, even if it's a virtual meeting, um, you know, just to communicate the value, um, meet with the AD to communicate the value. I think, some of those proactive steps would be important. Now, I don't think students would necessarily always think about that. So I do think that um, the genesis of that, you know, there needs to be kind of a, a soft kind of, uh, or maybe not even soft, just a, a kind of a push from, you know, the coaches to let them know, okay, this is something that you might want to do. Um, and then to provide kind of just uh, some suggestions on what they could do. But once you do that, there's always one or two um, you know, uh, students who will take that and have initiative and then run with it. Um, you know, I mean, you guys have all coached athletes and so you know that there's always, you always have one athlete that, you know, this person's a leader and they're going to, you know, lead, um, you know, uh, you know, this group of guys, this group of girls. Um, I do think it's powerful to make sure that, you know, any sort of engagement like that, that it's both genders, um, because as we know, the way that track and field works, especially, at a lot of colleges, um, you know, the, the programs are combined and you, when schools cut the men's program for, for combined programs, it kills the women's program because you can't have three coaches coach, you know, 30 distance athletes and distance is like broken up in three categories, right? You mm -hmm. have an 800 meter runner, you have a 10 K girl, like they're not the same. Um, no. And then you have, uh, you know, uh, field events. Well, okay, who's going to do pole vault? And I don't really think that, you know, the long jump coach, well, long jump and pole vault has some, well, whatever. But, like, there are, like, if you're a throws coach, you may not know how to coach somebody to do triple jump. You may. You might be a track nerd, but you might not know anything about it. You know, so, like, there, there, there needs to be um, an understanding of the different disciplines of track and field and the need to have you know, um, you know, a large coaching staff. You can only really do that when you have two genders represented. Um, all of the single sex programs, they're not good. And that's a reason. There's a reason for that. I mean, they're not. <laughs> Sorry about that. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, I think, I think it, uh, it, makes it, it makes it a lot easier when you have, when you are able to have, okay, we're able to have, what six coaches and what six uh, uh, volunteer assistants, or was it three? Per, it's three per gender, right? Because three, it's three, three per gender, six volunteer. It's six coaches, three volunteers per gender. Yeah, right. And a pole vault coach volunteer, you can have and, as well. Yep. So you could have seven volunteers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean that that makes it a lot easier, you know, to be able to split things. Even at Princeton, Princeton, both programs are separate, but. For pole vault, they actually use the same volunteer. And um, sometimes, you know, for hurdles, even though the women have a hurdles coach, they in the past, they've had the men's hurdle coach. Like, oh, well, can you help this one athlete out? Because, you know, she kind of hurdles a little differently. So, you know, there, there are things like that that have happened. 
um, you know, where you don't necessarily have it, have that happen um, and other, um, you know, uh, it's hard to do that when you don't have the, the bodies there. So anyway. No, no questions about it. The, one of the best things to do is put yourself in front of, I remember as a student athlete at Iowa, um, Bob Bowlesby was our AD um, and he's done so many incredible things in collegiate athletics, but he made sure that like, we knew that you could come have office hours. Yeah. We knew you could have office hours if you wanted to, you might have to schedule it months in advance because the schedule was crazy and there's a chance to get it changed, but you definitely would have office hours that you could just sit down and talk with them. And he would ask you the question, remember him asking the question. So how's, how's the program? How are things looking? You know, how's it going? And yeah, you're right. The first, the first time you meet with somebody, don't come in and say, this is wrong. This is what we need to do. This is what we need to change. Come in and have a conversation, build a relationship with them. And then they're going to be a little more lenient to say, oh, okay. Yeah. I've met this person. We've met, you know, this coach, we met Darren Flowers. We met these people and say, oh yeah, I know this guy. Let's, what is he looking for? Hey, I'm going to come out to the meet. And all of a sudden he comes out to the meet and uh, that stuff helps your program out an absolute ton. Um, Russell, it's been, I think we could keep going for a couple more hours, but it's been an absolute joy having you on the podcast tonight. Um, I think uh, Mike Herb hit it on the head exactly when he said that um, even though your original mission uh, when you started out as a young person, that wasn't to to do something along these lines, uh, but what your coach always said was make the most of the opportunity given to you, especially with what track and field provides. I don't think there's anybody that would say that you have not done that. You've done that at an incredible level, uh, something that's definitely inspired us and definitely something that we are fully behind uh this podcast i know i can speak for all these gentlemen right here that we if we can help we're going to if we can change things we're going to whatever we can do we will do it tell us what to do and you'll you'll have seven eight guys right behind you real fast so uh, but thank you for coming on tonight and joining us well yeah thank you uh so much and if i just uh end on end on a note so um you know uh, coach bob jackson he did what he did out of a profound love for you know yes. for all of us and um you know i you know, uh, love that man, you know, with all of my heart and for what he did um, for us. And, you know, I'm doing this out of a profound love for the opportunities that are going to be afforded. And so, um, you know, I really, really hope that everyone um, understands, you know, the importance and the value of ensuring that these kids have these opportunities um, and, and, and ensuring that, you know, the next generation and the generation after that continues to be able to benefit from, you know, the sport that we all know and love, which is track and field. And so, um, you know, I'm honored and humbled to be able to be, uh, you know, in this position. I feel like I uh, have uh, a unique kind of voice um, that's able to uh, bring attention to this. And I have the right um, uh, kind of combination of uh, of grit and stick it to itness. Um, you know, <laughs> and also I could talk a lot, so, you know, that also helps. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, but, yeah, thank you all for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure tonight. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for joining us on the Off Track Podcast. Thank you for making us one of the top running podcasts in the country. It is an absolute honor uh, to have you guys uh, joining us week in and week out. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, Russell Dinkins uh, as much as we did. We learned a ton, learned an absolute ton. He has an incredible passion for what he's doing, for creating opportunities for people who, who don't have those opportunities, making sure that kind of stuff happens. Uh, the lesson that he had with uh, his coach, uh, Bob Jackson is just one of those uh, stories that sticks with you. And it is an incredible thing that he is doing. Incredible thing to really honor his memory, to honor his, uh, honor his mother, and keep going and be an advocate for the sport. So, again, as always, please go ahead, sit down, like us, retweet us, uh, ideas, let us know what's going on, share this with your friends. I think this is an episode that can absolutely do a lot for people to sit down and learn with. Um, but as always, we try and do every single week. We will absolutely look, look forward to doing better for you.
4.30 this morning, you were running. Uh-huh. What the hell's wrong with you? 